One in 10 Americans have a condition that can be called a severe disability. With the aging of the population and the likelihood of having a disability increasing with age, the number of patients in our practices with disabilities is expected to increase dramatically in the future. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Cindy Ivanhoe. Dr. Ivanhoe is attending physician at the Brain Injury and Stroke Program at TIRR, the Institute for Rehabilitation and Research, and she's medical director at Mentis Neuro Rehab in Houston, Texas. She's an associate professor at Baylor College of Medicine as well. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you for having me. Now, Dr. Ivanhoe, what does it mean when someone has a severe disability? Well, severe disability, I believe, refers to a degree of dependency or physical I mean, we're talking in the physical medicine realm because mm-hmm. obviously a severe disability could be a psychiatric disability as well, talking to a psychiatrist here. But in the realm of physical medicine and rehabilitation, it has to do with the degree of injury that someone experiences, whether it's from something like an amputation, stroke, traumatic brain injury, or spinal cord injury, etc. Sometimes we'll talk about the difference between a hip replacement versus a severe traumatic brain injury. And while not to make light of the significance of having a hip replacement, the ultimate goal is that hopefully that person returns to more or less, if not completely, their original quality of life, state of life, etc. They'll go back to work. They'll go back to driving. They'll go back to their lives as they were, essentially, where someone with a severe disability that has its onset later in life is not going to be somebody who goes back to their prior lifestyle. Mm. Now, most of us, I think, are familiar with some of these words just from filling out disability forms and the paperwork. What kinds of things do you look for? The degree of assistance, physical assistance, cognitive assistance that somebody needs, whether it's one or two people to transfer them. Do they need a lift to transfer them? Can they be cared for in a home setting? Are they able to make their own decisions or do they need somebody to make decisions for them? Are they able to communicate their own decisions and or problem solve or be competent about the decisions that they make? Those are some of the things that you might consider. What characteristics does a person with a severe disability exhibit? I think, again, it's a question of the degree of dependency. If somebody is confined to a bed or confined to a wheelchair, With assistance, you need to look for problems with contractures across their joints, breakdown in their skin, spasticity or spastic dystonia where their muscles may get too tight into abnormal postures. They may have problems with, and this is my brain injury background speaking, but they may have problems with drooling, with understanding their situation, with memory, with problem solving, things along those lines. And any special comorbid kinds of medical problems that you might expect or at least look out for with people with severe disability? Certainly. We see a lot of pulmonary problems, urinary problems. You can see osteopenia over time. Skin breakdown is a huge issue if people do not get adequate services early on. And And even then, they may still get skin breakdown even if they have had good services because it can be very difficult to care for some of these people. But people who can have a severe disability and still not be completely dependent, it doesn't mean that they don't go on to have some sort of quality of life or still enjoy their lives. So it it depends. You know, Again, it's a spectrum of disability 
and even within this, the piece of the spectrum that is severe disability, there's a wide range of, of what that may or may not mean. People can have a severe disability and still feel that they have a worthwhile life. Their family is, you know, would still prefer that they're there than, you know, that they had lost them in whatever caused this disability. Now, it would seem to me that there's really no one specialist that treats these folks. So, of course, the primary care doc often is the quarterback of the team. But what other medical specialists would you expect a person to have that has a severe disability? Well, you know, in my setting, it's often the physiatrist and the primary care physician or the physiatrist, and then there'll they'll often be a cardiologist involved or a gastroenterologist or select specialist as needed. So it sounds like PMR as yourself, that is a, a specialty that's really crucial in these folks' lives. Yes. It, you know, again, it depends on how, what that PM&R practice, how it's set up. But certainly, I coordinate a lot of services for people with severe disabilities. And it's going to be a long-term relationship. Right, right. For those who are just tuning in, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Baylor School of Medicine physiatrist Dr. Cindy Ivanhoe. We are discussing severe disability. Now, Dr. Ivanhoe, with a person that has severe disability, is it possible for them to benefit from rehab? Absolutely. And that's not just because I'm a physiatrist that I say that. (laughs) But it's, you know, more often than not, there are some services available or techniques available that can help benefit somebody's quality of life, their care, their overall health, ways of improving generally their quality of life. And what kind of treatments would you even think about? Well, if somebody has problems with their tone or their muscle tone, then it could be a combination of different techniques to treat their spasticity. Or that could include positioning techniques to improve the way they breathe, where they bear weight in terms of how that affects the pressures on their skin or their bones, decrease the caregiver burden of care, upgrade their performance of activities of daily living. Somebody can have a severe disability and be dependent, but you could also have a severe disability, not be employable, and be fairly independent to variable degrees. And so if there's something in the rehabilitation process that could help move that person along that continuum, then it's worthwhile. And if those patients are not referred, then they're certainly never going to have that opportunity. Do you find that we as a culture, and certainly physicians especially, we tend to really forget about these people, that they are what they are, and that we might not look either for comorbid medical conditions, certainly psychiatric problems, or the chance that rehab might be helpful? Absolutely. I see so many patients who will eventually get referred to me, and they'll say, well, I went to see that doctor, but he just said I should be glad I'm still alive. And that's not enough. If patients or their families are coming to you, in a way, they're throwing out you know, a lifeline. They're saying, help me. What can you do to help me? And if we look or we talk to them, you know, very often they may not know that they're telling us, but we, we can listen for what it is that they need us to help them with. And sometimes we can and, and sometimes we can't, but we need to give it a shot. 
Are there any resources either for patients and their caregivers or for us as medical professionals that can help us learn a bit more about what might be available for these folks with severe disability? Well, I think you you need to mostly go look at websites for the specific disability, whether it's traumatic brain injury, spinal cord injury, movement disorders. You would find more just, you know, just looking for those specific diagnoses. I honestly am not aware if you go and Google, for example, severe disability. I'm honestly myself not sure what would come up. Dr. Ivanhoe, how about funding for these various sorts of, especially for rehab kinds of treatments? The majority of people with severe disabilities, provided they paid into the system, will ultimately end up on Medicare. It's very important when they have the option to keep a secondary insurance policy because sometimes, you know, Medicare covers a certain percentage of their health care needs and many patients will not get the care that they need or could benefit from because they can't afford the other percent that they would have to pay out of pocket. That's a huge issue. And there are certainly limitations to the types of services that people can get depending on their particular funding source. There's also a big consideration that needs to be given to the amount of family support that these patients have in terms of who's going to be doing their paperwork, who's going to be delivering their paperwork, who's going to arrange transportation, can they arrange their own transportation. And all these things have marked bearing on how successfully that person is going to reintegrate into the community with their disability. I would expect there to be tremendous geographic variation as well as to what might be available for these folks. That's true. You know, somebody who lives in a more rural area in some ways can actually get, they may have more community service or can be less isolated in some ways, but they may be more isolated for medical care. Or it could work, you know, a totally different way in a different part of the country. Some cities have a lot more public transportation. You know, here in Houston, we have Metrolift, which can pick up people who are in wheelchairs. So those will also have bearing on everything from how well someone can socialize to how effectively they can get to their doctor's appointments. Well, thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. We've been speaking with Dr. Cindy Ivanhoe a physiatrist from Houston, Texas at TIRR, the Institute for Rehabilitation and Research. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. 